you'll know when Salesforce have got less good marketers because they'll stop running that mm. and they'll have some fucking horse shit with, you know, a woman looking out of a window or a guy shaking hands in a boardroom and we'll be back to shit. But just <laughs> while, you know, a ch it's a chart for the ages, brilliant advertising, because sometimes the best ads don't need to be Ridley Scott, you know, in, in a trip to Morocco. I don't know if you heard, but this podcast is now sponsored. So before we get into the episode, let me tell you about our sponsor. I Love That Ad is proudly sponsored by IRS Plus, the one-stop shop for expert local radio planning and media agnostic brand solutions. If you have a media brief, you need to speak to IRS Plus. Go to irsplus.ie or mail hello at irsplus.ie for more. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of I Love That Ad. Not only am I joined by the wind beneath my wings, Shane W. Brennan. Hello, Shane. Hola. We're also joined by the absolute legend, uh, Mark Ritson, not only a uh, legend in the marketing world, but columnist for Marketing Week as well. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thanks, fellas. A very good, well, a good morning to you and a good evening from Australia. You are, you're officially the, the, the furthest away guest we've ever had uh, on the podcast. So uh, that's, I that, get that. That's I get that a lot. Living in Tasmania, it's kind of goes with the territory, mate. That's that's literally the only reason you're in Tasmania, just to, yeah, just, just for to that title. <laughs> It'd be a pain in the ass. Uh, a genuine thanks for for uh, uh, coming on to the podcast, Mark. I've been uh, been hounding you for years, and in fairness, your patience knows no end. So um, <laughs> I was just taking taking a route out of your own your own book in terms of consistency, you know. So every year, drop you that message. So, well, I I use it as a deliberate strategy, Aaron. If if I get um if I get asked two or I think in your case three times repeatedly then I'm going okay it's probably a serious thing <laughs> but if you get asked once I just ignore them they normally go away do you know what I mean it's a good little test that's a that's a, that's a good uh, that's a good uh, strategy to follow um Mark uh, uh, I, I, I like a lot of listeners uh both in Ireland and, and abroad would have uh, not only come across your your, your columns with Marketing Week, but also have taken part in the mini MBA uh, and the brand management mini MBAs uh, that you you you've run, and um, I think that they've they've got a, a kind of a cool status of their own in in, in the industry. Um, and for for myself uh, coming from a kind of predominantly a media agency background, it really opened my eyes doing the marketing one in terms. Of the volume of work that an actual marketer does before we even get to chat to them at, at brief stage and, and at tactical stage. And I kind of, it was a bit alarming the amount of, the amount of stages and the amount of work that needs to be done in the back end. And it kind of got me thinking, but for, as a marketer yourself or the marketing community in general, do you think, do you give a shit about the ads by the time he gets them? Because you've done so much work to get to that stage. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I mean, in many cases, a good marketer doesn't really care in the sense that, as you say, there's so much work already been done. And also, it, 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 you kind of hand it over to your creative agency and your media agency. And if you've selected well and you've briefed well, mm -hmm. it's one of the areas you don't have to worry about anymore. Do you know what I mean? So, no, I think it's a good point. I think bad marketers are 99% obsessed with advertising and good ones, maybe 1%. It, it's not, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but of the P's, it's probably the least important most of the time. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it occupies, as you remember from the mini MBA, I, the, the rough estimate is it's about 8% of marketing. Um, but because of good agencies, it's, 
probably should only be three or four percent of a good marketer's brain. You know, what I mean, there's other things we have to worry about. And and you think that's um, the the industry kind of goes against the marketer in the sense that you know it's so glamorous in terms of when it gets to the ad stage. Like, look at this podcast in its own right. We're talking about ads that people love, so it's, that's the glamour side of the yeah. <laughs> of the journey. Uh, so it's it, it easy to get sucked in that way. Yeah, I think it's it's partly that. It's the glamour. You know, it's the bit where celebrities turn up and you go on TV and stuff. Mm-hmm. I also think it's the tip of the spear. So if you think about how most of us got attracted to marketing in the first place, it was probably through advertising. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of marketers don't ever get any deeper into the spear. They stay with that rather naive understanding of what matters you know, all the other things we talk about, segmentation, positioning, even product development, pricing, they're not things the consumer is aware of. So there's a sense that we're, you know, if you're not well trained as a marketer, you kind of over focus on advertising because that's the one thing as a consumer you were aware of. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I think as well on that, we are what we describe to our friends and family. So I think when it's in when you work in marketing or advertising, it's very easy to say, like, I remember when we started media, started buying stuff, trying to explain it to my family what I actually do. They were like, so you make the ads, you make them all right. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, eventually you just go, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I put the that's what I do. I wasn't getting into the intricacies of so like it's easier for them once you keep defining yourself in a certain way in your circles of friends and you're like, yeah, that's what I focus on. That's what's important to other people. Therefore, it should be important to me. Um, and I think there's an interesting element of psychology there with regards to them where they focus. So I think that's right. I think that's right as well. I think there's a there's a nascent need to explain what you do to other people yeah. that inevitably ends up being it's about logos and advertising. You know what yeah. I mean? And um, the, the key point is there's, there's, there's you know, 95% of the marketers do want to work in those areas. And not only is it arguably probably one of the less interesting areas of marketing for many people, mm-hmm. it's also the most competitive. You know what I mean? Like we don't have enough pricing people. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, I mean, you specialize in pricing at the beginning of your career, you're worth your weight in gold, you know. So, yeah, it's an interesting scenario. Not to say it isn't, the, it is the glamorous, sexy part. Mm-hmm. It's the bit, you know, no one remembers a price change. You know what I mean? No one remembers a, fucking, a, a, a cracking bit of segmentation. But the ads, you know, the ads stay with us. So I, I do understand why so many people are attached to them. But certainly in my career, I've been involved in most parts of marketing with lots of different clients, I I can't really think of an occasion when I had anything to do with it, the creation of an ad ever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just, you know, it's as the agency was coming in, my role with a client would always be ending, you know, I mean? at least for the year. And I was quite happy with that. Do you know what I mean? We got the strategy right. Bring on the a good agency is going to, you know, let them get on with it. You know what I mean? It'll take care of itself almost at that stage. Yeah. Look, at this, I mean, I've learned from a lot of good CMOs that too many of them have told me, look, we don't pretest our advertising because we do all of our research to build the brief. We brief very clearly. We pick a good agency. We trust the agency and we let them get on with it and we stay out of their knitting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if the agency says, go left, we go left because we, that's why we hired them. Trust them yeah. to do the work. I've been told that several times and by very good CMOs, you know. There's a there's an Irish phrase that comes to mind, uh, too small, Latin a hubber, which means a good start is half the work. 
and that kind of yeah. that sounds sounds like it there. That's you're you're not scrambling then when you're when your your tactical uh, executions have have gone awry. It, it, it's true, Aaron. It's true. But what we have to also say, and I can't say it in Gaelic, is you can't. Um, <laughs> you, it, most of the time, we aren't fucking doing that. You know what I mean? Our starts <laughs> aren't. It's not good that they're not even there. Do you know what I mean? If yeah. the, the data on it is pretty embarrassing you know more than half of the briefs aren't clear on who they're targeting Mm -hmm. let alone what the strategy is or the positioning so we don't get that good start and agencies i mean i get asked it probably on a monthly basis what do we do with a client that they just haven't got a strategy for us to work off what do we do you know what i mean it's it's a very common question they're always the funniest briefs when you get them through and it's like me and aaron call each other in zoom it's like who are they targeting everyone fucking everyone <laughs> they've segmented it though into like they but, but essentially yeah, everyone broken down into all the audiences <laughs> piled on top of yeah, each they've other. Got, yeah they've got loads of slides on segmentation but ultimately they don't yeah this is a very common thing right you get all this bullshit in the plan about you know we've segmented this way and here's the pictures yeah. of everyone and the fancy names but then you just kind of park it and go but we're really targeting everyone yeah. you know what <laughs> I mean? so that whole 10 minutes was just pointless yeah, exactly and we're we're about to see kind of your your selection of of some of your favorite ads uh, of all time, uh, which we're very excited to get into. Just before we do that, in terms of like ads at the ad market in general over the last couple of years, like ignore the blip of of of, of COVID, but is there what do you think of of kind of that side of the the marketing funnel? Is is ads ads and executions is it in a good space? Is it is it is it the same or is it getting worse? Yeah, there's a lot of different things going on. Um, Generally, I think advertising remains very, very strong. It depends where you are, but in most places, the advertising execution is still very strong. I I think um, as an industry, it's become clear now that it's not the, the, the sexy place of the 80s and 90s where everyone from Oxbridge and the top red brick universities in England wanted to get into an ad agency. Mm-hmm. And there were like three positions, you know, those days are over. It's not, it's not the hot place to be anymore. So that's a real problem. The talent is, is, is not necessarily attracted. Um, and I think if you look at the actual advertising itself, good as it is, I think there is a problem in the lack of generally the lack of emotion in advertising. I mean, you know, um, the system one guys have been charting it for years, but there's and Peter Field as well. Although we know emotion works really well, things like humor, yeah. um, we're seeing less and less emotion every year, which is a weird situation to be in, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But generally, yeah, I think advertising is doing a pretty good job. I think that the move towards effectiveness, which really again wasn't there more than 10 years ago, it really started to be you know, advertising was talked about as for the first time, you know, is it effective? What's the effectiveness? I think finally that message is is getting across and there is a much more knowledgeable uh, advertising world now, which has got to be a good thing. Yeah, that's great. We've actually talked about that system one uh, humor drop over the years and that graph that Mm -hmm. they've done uh, on this on this a lot because it's it feels like it's an open goal for 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 smart marketer, smart, smart advertiser. Yeah, um, it is. I mean, there's, you know, there are certain things that you want to do. You want, you need your distinctive assets. You need emotion for the brand building ads. You know what I mean? And and it's just weird that so many brands still don't do that. You know. Yeah, 
Um, well, let's get into your selection of ads. So when, when I first asked you the question of pick your top favorite ads, did, did you have three straight out the bat or or was it a, a bit of more of a difficult Yeah, choice? there was probably four. In the end, I was going to do a Louis Vuitton ad and I didn't because I thought, ah, it's a bit of a wank story, you know? <laughs> and, and the ad itself is a bit of a wank ad. But um, but those three, yeah, they're pretty much, there's my favorite ad is in there and the one I learned the most from and the one that's most personal to me. So yeah, those are the. It didn't take me long, put it that way. Okay, brilliant. Well, uh, can you introduce your first ad, and we'll uh, have a quick look at it. So the first ad, I was trying to work out this morning in the shower when it was launched, and it must be nineteen ninety one ish, right? So it's well more than thirty odd years old, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's an ad for beer. Um, and it's an ad for tenants beer. And and what's weird about that is I've never drunk tenants beer in my life and I, <laughs> I never I, 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 I never will. So it's not as if it was effective, right? Mm-hmm. But the reason I picked it, it's the one that had the most emotional effect on me, I'd say, of all time. And the reason for that was I'd started working in ninety maybe it was ninety two, ninety one, no, ninety one. I'd started working in London. I'd moved down from university in the north and I I had, um, you know, I'd got a job in marketing working for NCR, who at the time were making all the cash machines in the world, but also were kind of, you know, this is pre-Microsoft, not pre-Microsoft, but, you know, pre the days of proper tech companies. So they're quite high tech. So it was quite a good job. I was working on Marlebon Road. I was a marketing assistant. You know, it was a good entry-level job, but it was fucking terrible just incredibly boring and um i was desperately homesick for the north i hated london and um we were we really were it was me and a bunch of other guys mostly from scotland and northern universities who'd gone down there and we were renting flats and it was kind of like we just weren't ready for existence down there and it was just fucking awful i have to say and um the only thing that got me through was enormous amounts of drinking uh most evenings and as we were all single like an attempt to try and go out with international women was also very high on our list we didn't i loved i mean that sounds better than it was we didn't most of us didn't achieve that objective but we well, certainly were trying very hard you, you know? caveated that with attempts right out yeah, right yeah. off the bat so we we, we understood we've all been there it wasn't, <laughs> we weren't the slicker we knew where we knew where all the great bars were but we were and we were there but we weren't actually you know instrumental in achieving anything but we were trying we were trying really hard and then during that year this ad came out for tenants and i i I must underline the fact that i'm not scottish nor have i any interest in ever being scottish right i'm (laughs) in fact i'm the opposite of scottish in the sense i come from cumbria right on the on the other side of the border so we're like the duke of cumberland's men we're not fans of scotland you've got to go back 400 years to understand why but no there's not there's no aspiration to be Scottish where I'm from. But this ad came out and it was, you know, an homage obviously to Scotland, but also generally to north of London. And as much as I didn't have a passion for the Scots, I had a lot more in common with them than I did with Londoners. Mm-hmm. And so when this ad came on, it was it had an incredible impact because it was basically showing me exactly what I was going through, which was someone from the north having a shit time in London, or some big city, 
and who just basically does what I never did, which was just go, oh, fuck it, throw your briefcase in the bin, get on a train, get back up home and have about eight pints with your mates and go, oh, what a fucking load of shit that was, right? <laughs> and it kept coming on TV for a whole year. They were in it a long time. And I can just remember it being a, a perfect epitome of how I was feeling and what I wanted to do. So it aligned perfectly with me. But... To this day, I can say, hand on heart, apart from a couple of scary nights drinking Tenant Special, I've never, ever wanted to drink Tenant's beer. So it certainly wasn't effective, but emotionally, incredibly powerful. Brilliant. Well, let's have a quick look at it now. I don't know if you can see the changes that have come over me. In these last few days, I've been afraid that I might drift away. That's a very classy looking bar that he went back yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was all going. It was all going on, right? It was, and even the bit at the end when he sends her the postcard, and it's like, you know, you should come up here. It's shit down. It, the, the whole thing's. It's a brilliantly. It's a brilliantly made commercial. I have no idea who made the ad. It's Leaf. The it's Leaf Agency. I'm pretty sure I looked. Oh, at so it. it was a Scots agency yeah. as well. And it, you were close That's with 91, 1990. You were very close. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a Scottish agency. Um, the Leith agency made it, but uh, but yeah, so it's funny watching it, and it's so similar. You can see that type of creative that would easily be an Irish person as well, being forced yeah. to go to London yeah. and being like, "This is shit." <laughs> it's just interesting to watch. It. I've never seen it before. It's cool. Uh, uh, what, well, it's look, boys. It's what is it? If it's nineteen ninety, what does that make it? Then I've lost track of my maths now. Thirty-three years old. Thirty-three years old. Thirty-three years old. It's an ancient piece of history. You know what I mean? Like so, yeah. But look, I, I think it was, um, yeah. As you say, it could be an Irish, but it's anyone that's not from London, mm. particularly if you're from the Northern Islands and the nor northern part of the world. Going, you know, it's escapism, but brilliant brand building. You know, it, obviously, if you can get your hands on tenants. Yeah, who has I ever the, like? I, I've never touched tenant. I've never seen. I, I think I've. I, they sponsor. They used to sponsor a lot of football teams as well. I think, but never once in my fucking life. And I do have friends in Edinburgh. No. I've been in Scotland. I've never thought of drinking a tenants. It's is... a fucking. It's a fucking terrible beer that has a lot to do with it. I can remember. Um, the the interesting. I was just talking about tenants though a couple of nights ago in Australia. The craft beer has gone quite strong. So we used mm -hmm. to drink Aussie beer. We all tasted the same, and it was all four and a half percent. Right, mm -hmm. it was mid strength. And now the craft beer here is all seven, eight percent, which is mind-boggling because around that time, and it's it, it drinks fine, but you, you have to be careful with yeah, it. You have three I mean, or four of them, you're off your shops, yeah. you know, you're totally fucked. And um, 
what's interesting is I was remembering Tenant Special, which around about 1990, that was what you drank if you really wanted to catch up quick for a big Friday night. You'd have a can of Tenant Special. And like we 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 once went to some karaoke competition, and we were given this the, the lads that I work with, and we were on this. We, they were given gave us like a five thirty slot. And we'd never sung sober in our lives, so I can remember being on the tube, having to drink this can of Tenant Special, which was about eight or nine percent, right? And it was terrifyingly bad. And I remember the homeless guy at the station was drinking the same stuff as us. <laughs> and we both double took, you know, we double took him and he was double taking us. But it's amazing how beer, and that was terrible stuff. But now we, I drink 8% beer on a regular basis and think it tastes great, you know? It's mental. Um, I, I, on on the, the ad itself, the, the song selection is phenomenal. And like obviously Caledonia, you know, makes perfect yeah. sense for, for, for the product. Um, but how translatable that, that feeling is. And for example, like on a really micro level, I moved from Dublin to Mayo, which is, it's a three hour car journey. Or train yeah, journey. yeah, it's a it's, long way. It's a long way. But, but nothing compared to Scotland to London, you know? Um, but, <laughs> but I did have that, that song Caledonia was like, when my last few, few months in Dublin, that like that would get me emotional, homesick kind of thing, yeah. and it's not even from my county or anything like that. But it it just shows how how that song sums up that feeling of longing for home, regardless regardless where it is, and it's it's just married perfectly in, in that ad. So I have to say that's like chef's kiss to the to getting that the, that song in. Some there. train he got from London up to Edinburgh to make it for points. Like must have been the height of summer. <laughs> When, look, if he, if he got in there at 10 o'clock in the morning, which is or 9 o'clock, which is when most of us were really... Th- under, you know, the, the moment where you really hated it was every morning, yeah. right? Getting on that underground. So I can imagine him being able to just go, oh, fuck it, I'll go straight to Houston. I'll get on the West Coast line. <laughs> being, I can be in Glasgow by 4 o'clock for early ones. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, fact. But it is that everyone has that feeling though. Sometimes you go, fuck, fuck this. this. Yeah. Time, for <laughs> Time for a last day. A last day in Dublin, we call it sometimes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. The, Turn the, the phone off on, and you just and go to a pub. Yeah, you're gone. Yeah, yeah. First one. Miss, I mean, I miss that in Oz. We don't have that. And I've certainly, I was in Dublin not that long ago. You'd certainly have it in Dublin too. There's that feeling on the turn on a Friday where you just feel it picking up around about three. You can feel it. Yeah. It's tangible, right? Three mm. thirty, four o'clock. So not every Friday night, but some night you just feel like, Whoa. and it doesn't happen in London. It happens in Leeds. You know what I mean? It happens in Newcastle. Mm. You just feel like, oh, here we go. Everyone's going. Here we go. It's a big one. You know, there's, there's like a and occasionally you get on. Yeah, you get on a Saturday as well. You know, you get you get back from the shops, and you turn around quick, and you're back out on the piss super fast on a Saturday. Do you know what I mean? You've done final score, and you're out on the piss. There's some. That's the great thing about those northern cities. Irish cities, Scottish cities, is that you know that big night out, which you know I don't know whether it's still as 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 common as it was when I was growing up, but it was a huge thing back in the day. Well, like you take here today is the last. I think we're getting rain tomorrow, but it's like eighteen degrees in Dublin today. It's it, today's a Wednesday. It's going to be fucking rammed in town tonight. You lads yeah. are going to just yeah. clock off at lunch, and you'll see there'll be fucking everything over social media. There'll be everyone sitting outside. <laughs> And that'll be it tonight. But there might be. I, I tell you, I went. I definitely. I went through this, Shane. I went through this October. I went out and did a talk for LinkedIn in Dublin. Mm-hmm. I obviously got a big office there, and I'd just been to London for a client, and London was on its knees. I mm-hmm. mean, like Liz Truss had just become prime minister, and we all knew she was fucking. Everyone knew she was fucking useless. 
The Queen had died. Uh, the war was going on. Brexit was killing them, you know. And I remember going going home and thinking, God, look at the state. You could feel, when I got to Heathrow, I could feel mm. it, you know. And I did about three, four days in London, and it was it was miserable. Really? And then I got across to Dublin on a Thursday uh, before my talk on the Friday morning. I got a mate, Keith, who works for LinkedIn, went out on a, on a massive eight-pint zinger, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, the town was pumping. And it was, it was the, I've never seen that. I mean, I remember in the 80s, Dublin was, no offence, but Dublin was 10 years, it was like London 10 years earlier. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. always behind, behind, behind. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they caught up with the EU. And now you just felt like, fuck, the, the Irish have got it. And the Brits are in deep shit here. Do you know what I mean? And the, and the Irish cab drivers, you always get a good crack off. <laughs> they just couldn't, be, they just couldn't fucking believe that the British had voted to leave the EU. You know what I mean? Rather than make it work in a sort of classic Irish twisty way and get what you want out of it, that they would walk away like idiots. And I, they were asking me to explain it. I'm like, I can't explain it. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not touching that one with a barge. No, ball. no, fuck it. Like, there's um, no logic. <laughs> that's a, um, Mark, thanks for, for, for that first selection. That's a, that's a great one to crack it off. Uh, so what are we going to see next for your second selection? So I, it's all very well me talking about being a, uh, uh, you know, my uh, my ancient history, but um, I thought I'd pick one that was technically uh, fantastic. So this is a great strategic story, and it was the first time, I mean, I, I saw the ad at the time, and the backstory is, so haagen is a made-up brand, I think as many people know. Like, it doesn't mean anything in any kind of Scandic language. It was invented by a Brooklyn Jew who just wanted it to sound scan- suitably Scandinavian and came up with this weird haagen kind of thing, you know, and, and pulled off a brilliant manoeuvre and then promptly sold it to, uh, I think it was originally what would have been uh, Pillsbury, I guess, that became part mm-hmm. of part of the part of the Diageo group, I guess, is what happened. No, anyway, Grand Metz. Anyway, it was, it went through a lot of takeovers during that early 90s period. Um the backstory was it was a it was quite a premium success in the United States, and then the, there was a like a crack team was put together in the UK to launch it here, and the challenge was English people, British people had no sense of luxury ice cream, mm-hmm. and interestingly, the reason for that was well, most of our ice cream up until that point hadn't been made with any cream, and I'm not exaggerating, right? The reason most ice cream up until that point was yellow was it was essentially made from hydrogenated fat. It was whipped up fat. And ever since World War II and rationing, the British had got a taste for essentially ice cream made from shit, basically. right? And it was a really interesting challenge, therefore. How do we go in and sell them a pot of haagen which in today's money is going to retail for, you know, four times what you'd pay for a tub at the time of fat-based ice cream? And so the team involved in it, I think, did some of the best work of all time. And and some of the research is famous. Like they just, when they started giving it to British uh, test consumers, people were so struck by it they had an almost sensual or sexual reaction to it. It was so good. They're never like, "What the fuck is that?" And then <laughs> the, the next reaction, "And what the fuck have I been eating for the last twenty years?" If that's what ice cream really tastes like. And so the team at BBH took that brief from Pillsbury and said, right, we need something that's sensual. We need something that pushes the real um, uh, the real incredible benefit of this product, which is it's, you know, it's not just a wonderful ice cream. 
it's almost essential experience. And so what emerged during that period was a series of double page, very high end media placements. So Vogue, Vanity Fair, etc., which again, for ice cream had never been done before. It was a kid's product. Mm -hmm. And so the media choice was perfect. They then launched in high-end restaurants, which now I know 30 years later, you're like, hagen on a high-end menu in London makes no sense. But back then, no one knew about it. So they were really got their distribution right. And the price was, again, three, four times the price of a, of a, a then tub of bad ice cream. And so this campaign really was, for me, the pinnacle of just getting it all right. And Hegarty talked about it because his agency had done the work that they they knew they had a great product and it was a wonderful brand, but it needed that final finishing touch of the image. And that, you know, of all, there's several ads that we could have picked, but what's wonderful about the copy, if you read the copy, is it actually is a product-based uh, text. And they've just foregrounded two of the words to create that kind of sensual, intimate adult experience very cleverly done and they did that for about about one or two years always high end always good media choices very um very almost fashion style photography and the results have been sensational i mean you look to this day and i forgive me i don't know the the actual numbers but hagendas still charges such a significant premium even versus the us version of hagendas in the uk it, it, it's all because that campaign and that launch was done so well. They've had 30 years of equity to play with. I mean, and Ben and Jerry certainly came in and benefited from it later. Mm. But for me, it was probably the, still is the great example of lining up all the strategy, getting all the P's lined up perfectly, and then just seeing the impact when it all clicks together with advertising kind of the cherry on the cake. So yeah, I think possibly one of the greatest campaigns of all time. Yeah, that's, that's that's brilliant. So, would would you think were they essentially creating their own uh, their own new target in the sense of ice cream for adults? So, as you said, it was a it was a kids product. Yeah. Uh, you would probably wouldn't eat it as an adult because it tastes like shit, or it was fat based. Whereas this is now because the media became the message with those high high uh, high value placements that this is something if you're going to indulge it's for you it's not for the kids it's for, it's no, for no, you, your partner absolutely right Aaron. absolutely right in fact i can remember the creative brief which had three words which was adult sensuous experience mm. right that's what they were going after because as you say i mean again it sounds weird now but if you go back to the 80s the only time you had an ice cream is when you're with kids because it was a kid's product yeah. So yeah, they they picked a different target, they positioned it beautifully, and the way they lined up the rest of the tactical execution was, you know, was just spectacular. So I think it goes down in this one of the the great launches. Yeah, and even that tagline, dedicated to pleasure, just kind of yep. says it all. Yep. Now you'd see it over a sex shop, but um, <laughs> you would. yeah, it's that's uh, you would. It's, that's uh, where they got the tagline. That's uh, yeah, I heard. Yeah, the regular. I mean. <laughs> and this is BBH probably just about hitting their stride, right? Mm. I mean, probably becoming for at least the next 25 years, the preeminent creative agency. You know what I mean? There's, there was a couple, right? There was AMV, there was DDB. But really, this is when BBH was just killing it. You know what I mean? It was really hitting its stride. 
yeah that's, that's, no it's cool that's and as you said tapping into that kind of high fashion especially like the early nine not 90s with the supermodel kind of explosion around then so tapping into that high fashion black and white sexy yeah it's really cool i've not seen that before you shared it it's uh well and it wouldn't look that strange to modernize in the sense that now we see you know premium brands will do that mm -hmm. in a fashion magazine never happened before yeah. it was a really bold choice as well so yeah i think a total package there class there's 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 even the, the inclusion of the word belgian belgian chocolate like that screams premium but like that's like the small text at the very at, at the very top that you'd almost miss that yeah. as well but it sounds so exotic so like well, well they do chocolate and beer well so it must be it must be good shit yeah. <laughs> no no and i love that combination of getting away with that strange emotional benefit message and then you realize there's actually a product story behind it it's brilliant yeah that's yeah. uh that's that's a, that's a great choice um uh, look, we love we love when we get great kind of print yeah, based copy. ads on this because people's go-to is usually video uh or the old bit of audio but when you get good print we, we say time and time again it's like it's like artwork you know and it's it's yeah it, it, it deserves to be on a wall almost sometimes and, and this is a i think it ages better as well aaron i think it ages in a much more longitudinal way whereas video can very quickly age i think a great print ad can can you could keep running it you know you could run that ad this you could run that ad literally right now right it would do yeah. the business definitely I think as well, like with regards to film production, like you look at the 90s and what people are using to make ads is so technologically very different and framing and editing techniques and font techniques, whereas print, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the same. It's, it's just perfect. It's just stylistic, you know, it's cool. Fantastic. So you've you've given us two stellar ads. How are we going to how are we going to top that uh, off your, your your final selection, Mark? Well, um, it's um, what do you want me to say on this one? Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm asked a lot. It's kind of a common question, right? What's what's your favorite ad at the moment or which ad do you mm -hmm. like? And I've been saying for a long time, the Salesforce ad. Um, and I like it for a couple of reasons. It's not going to win any creative awards, right? And that instantly makes it interesting to me. <laughs> I don't believe in creative awards. You know, I think they're a nonsense. They're a distraction because the whole problem with can is, you know, you can't have an award for creative that somehow is separate from effective. Mm -hmm. Creative mm -hmm. is just part of effectiveness. And the minute you get that, it's inarguable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the fact this is just an effective, very unawardable uh, ad is good. It's it, I've sent it to you here in print format, but I've seen it on London Underground, in the FT, as an outdoor ad. It's been around for about 10 years. I suspect it's in-house. I don't, I don't know. Shane will have to correct me. I think it might be. Yeah, I couldn't find. I I would assume we've done other mm. Salesforce stuff in the past, and it's in house. Most of their stuff, they just they have a team internally. So I'm I couldn't find any other details on it. So we'll assume in house. <laughs> my, my my bet is what happened originally was Salesforce realized. I mean, first of all, no one knows what the fuck Salesforce does. No. Right, let's be very <laughs> Not clear. Not a clue. Right? <laughs> I sometimes wonder if Salesforce know what the fuck they do. But <laughs> all credit to them, they have sold a bazillion dollars worth of, I presume, software into the marketing sphere to marketers who surely don't know what it what, what the thing is they've bought, right? And one of the, I'm sure what has happened here, and I don't know this, but 
at some point they've got so much feedback from customers saying oh you guys do crm i didn't know that mm -hmm. that at first they've run this ad just to say look not only do we do crm but we actually do quite well but then as often happens that i think the campaign took a life a, a life of itself because gradually over time of course salesforce has become at least according to their advertising, the dominant player in CRM. And what I love about what they've done, they've run this campaign not only for the last decade, but they've updated it on a quarterly basis, right? Mm -hmm. And they've run the same fucking thing for a decade. And what I love about that now, it's got nothing to do with reminding customers we do CRM. This is an ad that just says to everyone in the market, either... You're, you've got your CRM with Salesforce, good, you're with the winners, or you don't, and you're with the losers, right? That's all it is. Imagine how you'd fucking feel if you're the head of <laughs> yeah. marketing intelligence and you have to see that ad every quarter going, we're not with the guys that are dominating the market, right? And why I love it is it's just a brutal, repetitive act of persuasion. And I admire so much the ability of salesforce marketing team to not change the ad which is the big error of most marketing teams they get bored and impatient and change their campaign and we know we know first of all that four out of five replacement campaigns aren't as good mm -hmm. as the previous campaign that they're replacing we also increasingly are aware that wear out and ads fading in their effectiveness may actually not be a real thing. And the ads may well, a good ad may just keep working forever. And, and I, I remember talking to John, the, the chief customer officer at System One, and him telling me this astonishing story, because he, of course, is able to test the incumbent ad and then what the, the team want to replace it with. And he was finding the same thing, four or five, four out of five times, the new ad was testing much more poorly. And he would go in and say, I can save you a fortune here because for the 6,000 quid that you've spent on us, I can tell you that you don't want to spend half a million quid producing this ad because mm. it isn't as good as your old ad. Just keep running your old ad and we can prove it to you. And what was astonishing was when John said that, every client and team got disappointed and was kind of like, oh, <laughs> we wanted to create a new ad. We wanted to go to South Africa for a shoot. Yeah, yeah. we wanted to make new things, <laughs> even though they're not as good as the old things, right? And so it's a stunning indictment of, I mean, the stupidity of most marketing teams. Mm. You know what I mean? So that's why I love this Salesforce ad, because they've just kept doing it globally. It's the most boring, horseshit graphic you'll ever see, right? It's literally a fucking bar chart, mm. right? No, it's literally <laughs> a line chart, right? And yet... They've just spent media on it and just every time they just twat all the competitors over the back of their head with a giant fucking, you know, blunt instrument. And and I think it's brilliant. And I remember someone from one of the other companies emailed me once saying, you keep saying you like this ad. It's not true. It's not true. We have more share than that. And I'm like, dude, you're not fucking getting it, man. <laughs> yeah. Here's you emailing me how annoyed you are about this ad and what it says dude you've already lost the fucking yeah. argument yeah. Do you know if what i mean explaining it's already over. yeah <laughs> trying to explain that you're not yeah. you know a minor player like a minor player would you yeah. know so yeah i really <laughs> like that i really like the way that they and i hope they keep using it yeah. i mean the line is flattening 
but they still at least using their i'm sure completely biased data um are still dominating the market so they should keep using it you know what i mean i hope it lasts for um, literally i hope they keep doing it forever there's, there's two things in, in in it how they've positioned the figures so like they're at 23.8 percent in the in example that we're looking at but yeah. that's that's put up as if it was hitting nearly 100 percent that's of, right of, of, of the graph which looks amazing and then it's it's like a hidden joke with all the four other competitors sap microsoft oracle and adobe yeah. how they're all squashed together it's not yeah. even like any of them are yeah. near them it's yeah. just they're all they're all the other players they, they don't really count yeah in, in statistics we call that y-axis fuckery yeah. right <laughs> so when you fuck around with the it's, this is a true point when you engage in y-axis fuckery you could make 24 percent look like nine million percent yeah. right that's the whole yeah. point right but yeah you're right but it's not really a chart right it's an ad so they can do what the fuck they like i like you little small logos and all cramped together like little loser companies you know what i mean <laughs> and um I, I think that's the point i think it's it, you just cannot go wrong and my you'll know when salesforce have got less good marketers because they'll stop running that mm. yeah and they'll have some fucking horse shit with you know a woman looking out of a window or a guy shaking hands in a boardroom and we'll be back to shit but just <laughs> while you know a ch it's a chart for the ages brilliant advertising because sometimes the best ads don't need to be ridley scott you know and, and a trip to morocco mm -hmm. it, it's funny though what you said about um wear out and we talk about this a lot on the podcast when people bring ads from the 90s and we kind of talk about yeah. is do you really remember this that they're like i just remember this ad my entire childhood i feel like it ran for ages it's like it's probably because it did it probably ran for fucking yeah. seven years and now we work it's true you know we change creative creative gets changed every 12 months six months sometimes if stuff isn't going the right way and we just don't let stuff become iconic anymore you know what i mean there's some ads are just anyone sees it and they're like yeah that's fucking class that like defines my entire teenage years or my childhood or something we're not letting that happen <laughs> like it's crazy. well and partly partly we've got that bullshit statistic about comes up all the time about people's attention spans mm -hmm. are decreasing so no they're not they've never decreased you know, for, for for the human attention span to decrease will take about another nine million years yeah. do you know what i mean you know it, it's just rubbish it's rubbish the stuff we hear you know so no i couldn't agree with you more and again it says a, an ad that that maintains itself mm -hmm. runs over multiple years look maybe a different creative execution but on the same theme mm -hmm is the signal, I think, of a brand that's got its shit together. I mean, you look at Cadbury's, right? They won the Grand Prix uh, this year, last year. Cadbury's been running that generosity platform now for a good five or six years. And okay, there's a new execution, but the consumers are seeing fundamentally the yeah. same ad. That's mm. when you know you've got mm. a good team and a good brand and a good agency. Mm -hmm. Consistency. Just keeping them hitting them over the head, over the head, every time with the same, same message. Yep. In terms of that that wear out thing because that even that that's been something that's kind of cropped up a lot over the years even in, in media circles where do you think that kind of phrase and, and and that idea of oh we need to switch out what's the ideal timing to switch out is it two years is it four years depends on the creative where do you think that came from oh i know it, it came from the american psychological research that was done in the 60s and 70s so we a lot of the advertising theories that we've got we got from experimental settings where we would test and retest attention recall in an experimental setting. And the problem with experimental settings is they're not like a living room, you know, 
you, mm -hmm. you're, you're literally asking this subject to look at an ad and then you're asking them to look at it again. Do you know what I mean? Or the next week, look at it again. It doesn't work that way in reality. We're presented with thousands of ads in a living room with hundreds of distractions in a natural environment. So I think a lot of the things we learned about um, advertising viewers, some of which are very useful, a lot of them are artificially constrained. A lot of academics still think that a laboratory setting where we test advertising is a place free of contextual effects. It's not. It's set in the context of a lab, yeah. which is a very specific context. You know what I mean? There's no one there. Your partner isn't there. Your your kid isn't throwing things at you. The dog isn't trying to go out. You don't need to take a piss. You're not drunk. You know what I mean? It's not midnight. And the problem is advertising is a very context-dependent medium. Mm. It's tiny. You know, it's 30 seconds long. We don't want to watch it. Yeah, it comes at the end of usually some drama that we did want to watch, right? And the only people that call it an advertising break are people who work in the industry. For everyone else, it's a piss break or a coffee break or a walk yeah. the dog break. Um, and we forget that, right? You know, everyone talks about advertising avoidance. It's not true. We we don't avoid advertising. We were never locked into it in the first place. You know, I did all this research many years ago looking at we put cameras in people's homes and watched them watching TV. And so we could then edit out hundreds of hours of ads being watched by real people in their own homes. And what was interesting was all the agencies at the end said, well, you know, what did you learn is the, is the most important things for advertising to, you know, to basically escape advertising avoidance. And I said, this all, that's all wrong. What we learn is the ad doesn't matter that much. What matters is who's in the room. Mm -hmm. What time of day is it, right? What have they just watched on TV? All that other shit is way more important than the individual ad itself, which may or may not get watched for, you know, contextual reasons. I mean, we found, for example, at least in our, in our little sample of households, the ideal audience for an ad is actually one. And if you had one person on their own, rather than three, you'd get more advertising eyes on screen. So one was literally greater than three. That's so nice. measuring audiences by program uh, audience size was stupid because actually, yeah, that's the number of people who watch EastEnders. But then what do you know when the ads come on, they turn around and talk to each other or they start kissing. I mean, famously, we had one instance where they started having sex. There's another one where we had an old guy in his dressing gown and he used to get up and, and switch off the TV, but he'd have to switch it off manually. So he, he, I had this Dutch research assistant who spent hundreds of hours looking at this TV screen. And she said every night, this old boy at about 10 o'clock used to stand up, massive old pair of genitals right in the middle of the camera and then switch the thing off. <laughs> and every night she had to, she could have sued me for millions of dollars, right? Being exposed to this old boy's tackle every night. But that was the response. You know what I mean? You forget that's that's how advertising is experienced in the wild. Mm -hmm. And I think often we forget that. And when we test advertising, we forget about all those variables. It sounds like the the original Gogglebox you, you just set up there with, with that research. We were way ahead. Yeah. And we, were, we were doing Gogglebox 20 odd years ago. It's true. And it was. People would stop and watch what, we, what was going on in the living rooms, you know. And we did have those golden moments where an ad would come on. And a husband would turn to his wife, like an ad for like Fiji would come on for a holiday. And the husband would turn to his wife and say, yeah, we should go to Fiji for holidays mm. this year. Like it was just like, 
boom. Yeah, that's how that's how advertising works. You're like, look at that. Fuck, boom, sold. You yeah, know, love it, love it. Mark, they were uh, a fantastic selection of ads. Thank you so much for uh, your generosity of your time and and giving your your insights uh, on those ads. And um, before we head off, is there anything you want to uh, say to uh, our listeners or audience? Is there anything that any initiative that you want to give a shout out to? Oh, look, if um, uh, we, we are running, there'll be new mini MBAs in marketing st- and brand management starting in September. We also launched a mini MBA in management in September. So we've been, you know, the, I've, you know, the mini MBA marketing is based on my 10-week MBA course. Mini MBA and brand management is the same. They're courses from MBA from business school. We've been asked by a lot of the people, we now have 30,000 people do the courses, what about all the other subjects? So we spent the last two years recruiting, um, we think, 10 of the best professors in the world, not marketing professors, but accounting professors, finance, strategy, negotiations. And then over 10 weeks, each of them gives us a uh, a masterclass in their topic with all the associated readings. It, it certainly doesn't replace doing a two-year MBA at Harvard or somewhere, but it it... it it gets it gives you in 10 weeks i think the broadest most accessible management training we can offer in the mini mba style so we launched that in september so if you've done mini mba marketing or brand management revisit our site and have a look at the new course it's going to be a whopper sounds amazing sounds brilliant well uh, i'm sure you'll have a lot of takers for that from from the irish market and from some of our listeners as well so best of luck uh, best of luck with that and again thank you so much for for joining us on i love that ad really appreciate it um, if anyone was listening and wants to watch the ads or see the ads on screen, go to workwithfo.e forward slash podcast where you can see it all, all the good stuff there. But until then, we'll see you and goodbye. I Love That Ad is proudly sponsored by IRS Plus, the one-stop shop for expert local radio planning and media agnostic brand solutions. If you have a media brief, you need to speak to IRS Plus. Go to irsplus.ie or mail hello at irsplus.ie for more.